funny how those things work out, isn't it? But it's all about the kingdom, right? Praise the Lord. So are there people here today that have financial problems once in a while that have ever had a financial problem? <laughs> Anybody here ever had a real distressing situation? No? Nobody? Let's try that again and remember where liars go. Did anybody here ever had a distressing situation that, that just kept you awake at night? How about physical problems? Anybody here ever had a physical problem? All right. I just want to make sure I was in the right place today because <laughs> if I had stumbled into the only building in the world that was full of people that didn't have any problems, then I'm in the wrong place. Because you don't need to hear what I've got to say today. <laughs> Praise the Lord. If you could all stand with me and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. I've talked about this here recently. Pastor talked out of this passage here um, about a month, six weeks ago. And it's a, uh, it's a passage that's really held my attention for a little while. And uh, as I've just been meditating and, and, uh, and studying on the subject of grace. Because we're told to grow in that, aren't we, at the end of uh, Peter's second epistle. He said, you need to grow in grace. So this is something that we need to have on our minds, and it's, and it's something that we need to develop in and increase in, to grow in grace. This is not a, you know, you come to church and get the Holy Ghost and then all of a sudden that's just it and you sit on a pew and, you know, get involved in one of the church departments and, you know, do potlucks and all that kind of stuff. We're supposed to grow and thrive and prosper in this whole thing. And I want to do that. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So I want to talk to you for a little bit today about how grace makes the difference. Pastor, would you pray today, please? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Is everybody glad to be here today? got up this morning and I thought, oh, man, I don't want to go to church today. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> I love coming here. This is, my, this is my favorite place the whole week. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. We're not going to read the whole passage here. The rest of it's important, but we're just going to focus on these two verses. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in your weakness so how many of you want to be weak 
How many of you like to be weak? How many of you like to be weakened, to be, to be struck by something and smitten with something that makes you weak? Be real now. Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he says, so therefore I take pleasure in all these things. And I'm afraid that verses like these remain theory to too many people. Because this does sound too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, the first time you read this, did you think, oh, man, he lived on a different level than I do. Glory in my infirmities and then go through the list and really think about those. So it takes a trial or a series of them for this to be proven to you and to become real to you. You have to go through some stuff before this is going to become real to you. And, and I want to point out to you that theoretical faith is not faith. It's got to be tested. It's got to be proven. And it's not proven in good times. The strength of your faith is not proven in good times. I wish it was. I wish I could live at Disneyland or someplace like that where it's just all happiness and popcorn and goodies and all that, but that's not the real world. It's got to be tested. You know, up there on Mount Moriah, uh, when, when the Lord told Isaac or told Abraham, all right, stop. You know, he's, he's standing like this. Just in the nick of time, he says, that's enough. He said, now I know that thou fearest God. God said that. Now I know that thou fearest God. As if God didn't know something. Does God not know anything? And yet he said, now I know that thou fearest God. It wasn't that anything changed in God, but something changed in Abraham. Because his faith went from theoretical to all of a sudden a whole different level when God proved himself to him there. And so Paul says in verse 10, he says, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distresses. I take pleasure. What is he trying to sell us here? You will, you will find pleasure driving this new car. You will have pleasure if you go on this cruise. You will have pleasure in a newer and larger home. This cup of coffee will bring you pleasure. What is he trying to sell us here? He said unto me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, most gladly, therefore. So therefore, because of this all-sufficient grace, he said, I can glory in my infirmities because in these infirmities, the power of Christ will abide on me. Brother Smith and I were having a talk about this a couple of years ago when we were neighbors, and I brought this up, and he pointed out that that word rest means to tent. And this goes back to the days when people lived in tents, right? You set up your tent because that was where you were going to abide. So he said, the power of Christ may tent on me or set up housekeeping in my life. It'll abide there. It'll remain with me. I thought that was a great word picture. 
It will abide. That the power of Christ, this is not a fleeting thing. It doesn't just come and go. It's something that when it comes, it stays. That it may abide on me. That is, as long as I have the right mindset. So this grace, which, what's grace? Somebody tell me. Somebody, anybody? What was that? God's willingness to make himself known. His willingness and his desire to make himself known to you. Paul is saying that that produces power in your life. That translates to power in your life. And when that happens, then verse 10 can happen. Therefore, because of this, because of God's grace, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Because the grace of God, which is him, his desire to make himself more known to me is producing power in my life. Not only can I endure these things, not only can I just make it through, you know, crawl across the finish line. Come on now. He said, now I can do better than that. I can actually take pleasure in them. All right, that's weird. Let's just face it. All right? That's weird. I can take pleasure in those things knowing that it brings more grace. What does that word infirmities mean? It means literally to, to be weakened, to have a lack of strength, to be diseased or frail or feeble. How many of you, how, how many of you think that sounds attractive? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to go there. I'm going to eat a diet that's going to produce that kind of result in my life. You don't do that. You want to eat good things. You want to feed your body because you don't want to live this way. Right? How about the word reproach? That, the, that Greek word is actually hubris, and it's not really, it's, it's quite a bit removed from our English word hubris, uh, from the English word hubris, but um, it, it means a deliberate insolence or insult that results in harm or injury to you. How many of you like that when that happens to you? This, this almost always has a human origin here. Um, and it's intentional. It's not accidental. This is somebody went out of their way to do you harm. Uh, treat you shamefully or injure you with evil speaking. And it can also include violence. How many of you are down with that? Are you ready? Let's do that. Necessities. That means literally to be in need, to have, to have something, to need something and not have it in your life. To want or to lack necessities. Has anybody ever been there? Not had something that you destined. And we're not talking about, oh, I don't have enough change for coffee this morning. You can. All right. Nobody's got stones, right? Because you know where I'm going with this. You can actually live without coffee. Now, you might not think that you could possibly take pleasure in that, but you can live without coffee. Persecutions. That word means to pursue or to follow after 
eagerly. And Paul is speaking about having somebody determinedly on his trail with evil intentions. They're after him. They're stalking him with evil intentions. And this was actually Paul, wasn't it, on his way to Damascus. He was the persecutor. He was on his way to Damascus. He had a list of names, and he was going to go take them down. He was after him. He had evil intentions. He was going to do them harm. How about distresses? Also translated elsewhere in the New Testament, anguish. This means to be in a narrow place, what we call today to be between a rock and a hard place, to be in a real bad spot with no good options, to be pressed in from all sides. And uh, by the way, this whole list is distressing. All of these things are going to produce distress in your life. And all of these things are always going to be difficult. He's not saying they don't bother him when they happen. He's not saying that he no longer suffers when he experiences these situations. It's just that when he's over the initial shock and the trauma, he can quickly see the hand of the Lord in them and how the Lord intends these things for Paul's benefit. Suffering is always going to hurt. It's never not going to hurt. If it didn't, it would be called something else. Suffering always hurts. You don't suffer when you get your favorite drink at Starbucks. You don't suffer when you take a long, cool drink of water on a really hot day. You know what that feels like? You don't suffer when, when a close friend calls you with a timely word of encouragement that's just the perfect word at the perfect time. That's not suffering. No, you suffer when you hurt. When you agonize over a dilemma, when, when you lose a close friend or a loved one, and when you mourn, that's suffering. And yet, Paul said, he found a way to say, I take pleasure. So, how many of us can say we're there, taking pleasure in these kinds of things? What is it? What's the difference? It's grace. Grace is what makes the difference. Exodus chapter 33, great passage of scripture here, starting with verse 13. It says, this is Moses speaking with the Lord. He says, now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight. And this is, this is really cool language. Spend some time with this sometime. If I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee that I might find grace in thy sight. This is cool stuff. Down in verse 17, he says, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, All right, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. How many of you would like to hear the creator of the universe say that to you? You have found grace in my sight, and I know your name. Wouldn't that be cool? This, this correspondence here between the Lord and Moses, they have corresponding purposes. God desires to make himself known to us, just like he desired to make himself known to Moses, and Moses is corresponding with that, isn't he? He is functioning inside of that 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 shower of grace, and he's saying, I want more of that. And God's saying, I want to give you more. And Moses says, I want more. And God says, I want to give you more. 
That's the way that works. This reminds me, um, if you'll pardon a little anecdote right here, there's this, uh, we have this little house plant in my home, and it's, uh, it's about yay high, and it's just this cute, perky little plant with, with every one of the stems has seven leaves on it, I think, and they're kind of long teardrop shaped. And my wife decides to put this thing in the bathroom, in our hall bath, right under a skylight. Well, this little thing went bazonkers. It just, it just took off and started growing like crazy. And, and every time when I go in there, every day, sometimes several times a day, I can't walk by that plant without looking at it and think, this thing is just so happy. It just, and, and the thing of it is, is it's not perfectly under the skylight. It's off to one side a little bit. And so what's that plant doing? It's bending toward that skylight because these shafts of sunlight come down through that skylight and the plant is going, oh yeah, that's what I want. And it's just, it's reaching up for it. And once in a while, you'll see a new little stem come out and then all of a sudden there, there'll be these tiny little leaves. When they're mature, they're like two inches long, but there'll be these tiny little leaves about like so. And it's just, it's so fascinating to watch this thing grow in this setting, you see the correspondence there? You got, you got the sunlight, which is what it's all about. And this plant is just thriving in it. I don't know, that, that little word picture just fascinates me. And, and there are people that, that walk through life doing this. They're, they're, they're trying to get away from what God is trying to do in their lives. Any, do you, anybody know anybody like that? That God has been trying to work with them, and you know he has been. And they're just, what they're doing is they're resisting his grace, his attempts to try and shower them with his grace, just like the sunlight on that plant. And they're just dodging it everywhere they go. You're not going to stop the sun from shining. You can get yourself in the shade. You can put yourself in a place where those, those rays of sunlight are not going to hit you. But you're not going to stop that from shining. God is very determined about this. He desires to make himself known. And his desire is just like that sunlight. It's just looking for something that's going to look upward and begin to grow and thrive. And you know, there was one day when I went in the bathroom and there was a bare, there was two bare stems on that plant. The leaves were gone. And I thought, well, that's highly suspicious. And I had this sneaking suspicion that there was a particular seven-year-old that was responsible for that. <laughs> and so I interrogated him. I said, Daniel, do you know anything about this? And he goes, nope. <laughs> and I've, I've made this point to him at least two dozen times before. Some of you parents know exactly. I said... <clears throat> There are some questions that I ask you that I already know the answer to. <laughs> I mean, right? Don't we do that as parents? You ask your kid, you, you're giving them an opportunity to cop to it, right? But you know, and I knew, because this plant was thriving and all of a sudden there's something wrong here. I said, uh, when I ask you a question, you remember this? Oh yeah, when I ask you a question, I already know the answer. So let's start over. Do you know anything about this? He goes, yes. <laughs> and this was a couple of months ago, and it really irked me because this plant was so beautiful, 
And now there's these two naked stems. And it just, well, guess what? The plant came back. It survived. So when you're in the right place, even when somebody comes by and picks your leaves off and does you harm, it's not going to be fatal. You can survive it. All right. You can take that for whatever it's worth, but it's just a nice little word picture, I thought. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You go back in chapter 11. We're not going to go there, but maybe we will. I don't know. Paul gives you this long list of, of tribulations, things that he dealt with. And, um, and so when you read that list, when you see the stuff that he had been through, the statement, my grace is sufficient for thee in light of all of that, because he gets detailed into the things that he's dealt with. Um, that's very strong. My grace is all you need, Paul. You can go through all of that stuff. And my grace is all you need. My desire to make myself known to you is the very best thing that I can offer you. In fact, it's better than me taking your problems away or preventing all of these things from having happened to you in the first place. It really is. God's grace is better than if he were to take all your problems away. Mm. So the problems which make the way for grace and more grace are actually factors that enrich your life, not impoverish it, because they allow his grace to shine forth. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, fear not, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He says, I am thy exceeding great reward. The ERV renders it this way. Abraham, don't be afraid. I will defend you and give you a great reward. You see the difference between the two? One says, I am your great reward. The other one says, I will give you a great reward. See the difference there? God is better than anything he can give you. God is better than anything he can do for you. Having a personal, intimate knowledge of him, thriving inside of that, that shower of grace, is that's the best thing that God can do for you. It's the greatest thing that can happen to you. I am Thy exceeding great reward. Praise God. So the Apostle Paul, he endured a lot of stuff, and, and he, he also found a place. I like that scripture in Philippians 4 that says that I have learned. I like how it starts with I have learned. It's a process that whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. It took some time, it took some trials, but he got to the place to where he could be content in his trials. But beyond that, he reached a place of such intimacy with the Lord that he could actually take pleasure. I just can't get over this. I'm sorry, I don't mean to beat this, but I, he, that word take pleasure means to think well of. Imagine one of the worst trials you've ever been through and being able to think well of it. I think well 
you can get to the place to where you have this positive disposition towards your trials and anybody who might be responsible for bringing them on you. A positive disposition toward the offenses that are inflicted upon you and the people responsible for them. Praise the Lord. How do you get to the place to where you think, well, of your, of your trial? It's by knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is a bigger deal in your life than that trial is. And that he has a carefully crafted purpose for the trial. The trial is an ingredient in the recipe of your life. And this makes me think of uh, when I was in my days of selling bakery goods, we had a, we had a cake mix that was, it was called one, two, three. It was a three-stage cake mix, water, oil, and eggs. Anybody ever do any baking? Um, and so you did this in three stages, and I think the first thing you put in was the water. And then you put the cake mix in there, and then you whip it for a little while with the paddle. And then you turn it off, the mixer off, you scrape the bowl down, and then you add the oil, if I remember correctly. And then you turned it on again, and there's a specific period of time that you're supposed to make all this happen. Then when you're done with that, you scrape the bowl back down, then you add the eggs or something like that. And, and there's a process. There's a specific process, and there's a specific amount of time for everything to turn out. And air is an ingredient in that whole thing, by the way, too, because that's part of what you're doing is you're whipping air into it. And I've had people go, yeah, I didn't really like that cake mix. Well, why? Well, it, you know, this and that, it didn't really turn out. Well, did you follow the instructions? Nah, I don't have time for that. I just threw everything in the bowl and turned the mixer on. <laughs> and you fault the product. There's instructions right on the bag. You can't shortcut this process and get the desired result at the end of it. You have to follow the process. So the ingredients are added just in the right quantities at just the right stage, and everything has to be done. The, you know, Job's, his trial came just at the right time in his life, just at the right interval. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6 begins with, now there was a day. Why now? Why now? Because Job was ready right now. It was time right now. And God was the one that said, it's time to do this. He started that whole thing. The devil was just a tiny little part of this whole thing. He was just an ingredient. Who decided the timing? God did. Who chose the ingredients and set the devil loose putting things together? God did. Satan wasn't in charge. He was just a part of that process. And, and, and not even the whole process. He was just a little part of it. And there were certain ingredients that were added, right? The Sabaeans, the, the fire of God, the Chaldeans, the wind, and then his three friends. Certain ingredients all added just at the right time and just in the right order and interspersed with the removal of some things. And, you know, uh, the last thing that he really lost was his reputation and his status in his community amongst his peers. And then, you know, just at the right, listen, God knows exactly what he's doing. There is nothing random about any of this in this story. There is nothing random about your trial. 
nothing accidental. And just at the right moment, the man of God, Elihu, speaks up, and then there's the whirlwind, and then there's the questions, and each one of these was a critical component in this process, added at just the right stage, some of which was quite traumatic, don't you think? Quite traumatic. But it, it, it came to the conclusion in chapter 42, where Job says in verse 5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That whole thing was all put together. Every little ingredient. You know, there was nothing in Job's series of trials that wasn't essential. You ever been making something and you, you know, you put a dash of this in there and then you thought, let's try a little more. That doesn't happen with God. He knows exactly what you need. Everything that happens is carefully calculated, carefully planned. There's nothing random about any of it. And God knows the end result he's looking for. And in this case, what Job says right there, bingo, that's what we're looking for. And you can read the rest of the story. No complaints on Job's part. Traumatic? Absolutely. Horrific? Oh, yeah. No complaints at the end, though. And by the way, one of the most demoralizing mindsets, discouraging and demoralizing mindsets a person can have in the middle of a trial is, God is punishing me because I'm bad. He's not like you. He's not like me. How many of you are glad God's not like me? Me? Who was that? Was that you, Katrina? That's oh, all right. Me's glad he's not like me either. If he was like me, me would be in big trouble. He's better than that. We have to know that he is good and his thoughts toward us are good. What did he say in Jeremiah chapter 29? He sends that letter into the exiles in Babylon, and he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. They're not thoughts of evil. you got to get that in your mind. The thoughts that he thinks towards you are not thoughts of evil because he's not like you. He's like him, and there's nothing else like him. I, I like the way he says that. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Do you? They're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to bring you to an expected end, a highly anticipated end. Praise God. He said, listen, while you're there in Babylon, just build houses, plant gardens, get married, have babies and grandbabies. And rather than praying for the peace of Jerusalem, like the psalmist said, pray for the peace of the city that you now live in. You're going to be there a while. And you can flourish and you can thrive even in the midst of captivity, in a foreign land with foreign people that are worshiping idols, you can thrive there because it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who's surrounding you and what circumstances you're living in. What matters is that you know who he is, that you know the thoughts that he thinks towards you. Praise the Lord. All right, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There's no clock back there. I've got to wrap this up here soon. 
God is going to add ingredients to your life that will weaken you. For when I am weak, Paul said, then am I strong. When I am weakened or made weak, when I'm taken down, when I'm buffeted, then I can actually be made strong. Because of my knowledge of him, the trial has the opposite effect on me than what might have been intended by those who wish me harm. You know, Satan thought, oh, I'm going to take Job out. I'm going to hit him so hard, he's not, he's not going to know what to do. All of those, God had a plan for all of that. And every one of those things had the opposite effect on him when it was over with. So when I'm weakened, when I'm made weak, when I'm brought low or taken down or humbled by my infirmities or by reproaches, then can grace, grace strengthen me. And without those afflictions, grace has a lesser impact in my life. It makes a lesser difference in my life. I don't need God when I feel good. I'm not quite so dependent on him when I feel strong and everything's going my way. It takes the trial and the suffering to cause grace to rise to the place of prominence and power and significance in your life. But the distresses are still distressing that's why they call them distresses. If they weren't distressing, they'd be called something else. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, uh, verse 8, Gay, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Mm. I don't believe that that word suffered means I have allowed alone. I think he suffered. I know he suffered. Read what he dealt with and you'll see that this man suffered. But he said, I can live with that. I can count those things but dung that I may win Christ. I can count them as rubbish because I see them inside of the greater context of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. So in this life, you're going to lose, you're going to hurt, you're going to get devastated, and then you're going to look up at him. And then you're going to, instead of looking and filtering everything through this devastation, you filter the devastation through the knowledge of him. You see the devastation in a broader context of the revelation of him. Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, there are times when things are going to come your way that are absolutely going to knock you flat. They're literally going to captivate 100% of your, your attention. And I'm reminded of something that happened to me years ago. How many of you know what a goat head is? Not you know, the head of a goat, but those little stickers that have these little spikes on them. I think that's what I have on my property. They have these spikes that are like three-eighths of an inch long, and they're hard as nails. And I picked one of those up in my Crocs one time when I was out walking around. And I'm walking in the grass and the gravel and whatnot and, you know, in the dirt. And when you get, when you've been walking around in the dirt and you get on the concrete, when you're getting ready to go in your house, what do you do? Yeah. So I stamped my feet and I drove that thing right up into one of my feet. I mean, it went right up into and punctured right into my foot. Now, when that happened, I became very focused. 
on that like quarter inch of skin under my foot. And there was this, my body had this reflexive action. It just, it just took over. All of my attention went right there to that patch of my foot. And my, my weight automatically started to shift on that one foot to get the weight off of that spot. And then over to the other foot. And then my knees started to buckle because I wanted to get off of that foot altogether. And my hands started, re I just became hyper-focused. And when I was on my way down, I was not going, oh, I wonder how my 401K is doing today. Or, oh, I need to rotate the tires of my car today. I was thinking about one thing. Now, have you ever had something like that happen to you that literally captures one, there I go using that word literally again. I abuse that. 100% of your attention. You're not thinking about anything else but what's going on in that moment. And that's because you're human. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then... After a certain period of time, you need to step back and you need to pan back out and see this situation that has completely captivated you and see it inside of the context of your revelation of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's doing in your life. You don't look at him inside of the context of your trauma. He's got to be bigger than that. There was one amen over there. Can I get another one? He's got to be bigger than your trauma. He's got to be more significant than your tribulation. And if he is, then when you step back, then you can say, I delight in my infirmities. Paul said, I delight in my infirmities. I remember the first time I read that, I'm like, yeah, sure, buddy. Not you, buddy. What? The CEV says, yes, I am glad to be weak or insulted or mistreated or have troubles and sufferings. The ERV, yes, I am glad to have weaknesses if they are for Christ. I am glad to be insulted and have hard times. I am glad when I am persecuted and have problems. Yeah, sure, buddy. The LITV, because of this, I am pleased in weaknesses and in insults and in dire needs and persecutions and distresses. <laughs> oh, my. See, the more I focus on him, the more I look at him, the more I seek him, the better my trial looks. The more that I seek him and the more I know him and the more I center my vision on him. Anybody ever look through a rifle scope? You know what, what most people do is they close the weak eye and they focus through that one eye and they put the crosshairs on the target. But what you're doing is you're eliminating everything else from your field of vision. You're not looking at anything else. And, and the problem is, is that we put that crosshairs on our problems and we don't see... And, you know, God's out here in the periphery somewhere, and we're not even paying attention to that. We're just looking at our problem. The crosshairs needs to be right on him, and then the problems can kind of go out in the periphery. So the more I see him, 
the better my problems look, the more content I am, the more at peace I am, the more at home I am in suffering. The more pleased I am to be tried and reproached and slandered and railed on and gossiped about and to be hungry and straightened and distressed and to be in want and need and pain and suffering. And that's why we're told that we can count it all joy. James chapter 1, and I'm going to finish up with this pretty soon. He said in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Has anybody ever felt condemned by that verse? Boy, I'm missing that mark here. I'm not counting it all joy in this particular temptation. This isn't joyful at all. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He, we're not just being told, look, you got to count it all joy when you fall into these temptations. It's saying you can count it all joy. This, you're, you're being liberated here to count it all joy when you have these problems. Praise God. And he says, the trying of your faith worketh patience, and patience is endurance, but it's cheerful endurance. It's not just, oh, it's endurance with a positive disposition. Why? Because God is at work in this whole thing. He's working something into you or out of you or both through this trial. So be joyful about it. Be joyful about it. You can. Your, your ability to live out this verse, counting it all joy, depends on your knowledge of God and of his involvement in your circumstances. That's why it's called the trying of your faith. The trying of your faith, the trying of your knowledge of God works patience. It's got to be tried. Praise God. All right, it's afternoon, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here. How I handle my trial, whether I thrive or just survive or take a dive, it's all contingent, not on what I feel about him. It, it, feeling has nothing to do with any of this stuff. This isn't about emotion. This is something much more steadfast than that. It's what I know about him. And the thing about that passage of scripture in, in uh 2 Peter chapter 3, it gives us the imperative. It says, but grow in grace. In that, like, like that plant, that, that sunlight, that shower of grace that God is, is, is pouring all over your life. Grow inside of that. Correspond to that grace. Listen, it's being poured out. That's, there's no question there. The question is, is are you stretching your hands upward like that little plant with its leaves just, just soaking in everything that's coming down? Are you thriving inside of the grace of God? It says, but grow in grace. And how do you do that? By the next part. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. This is a cerebral thing. 
All right, this is something that's in your head. Your heart, yeah, that'll follow later, but this is talking about changing your thinking. The knowledge of who he is, his character, his nature, his attributes, who he is. The most consequential knowledge in all of the universe is the knowledge of who God is. And it will affect your life. It'll affect your thinking, and it'll affect the way you handle everything, everything that comes your way. God wants to make himself known to you. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Pastor. Did you guys get it? Praise the Lord. I was typing so fast so I can make sure that I got Brother McAtee gave a lot of nuggets that you guys, and um, I don't know, I'm just, this gray hair, just getting old. Um, if I didn't take notes, I wouldn't know, I would miss a lot of stuff. And so that's just a way that I, uh, now what was the title again? That's the thing I missed, something about grace. Grace makes the difference. And we cannot be saved without it. You actually, actually need grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so we need that grace. And we've got to grow in grace. And we know that grace and peace is multiplied unto us through knowing him. And so um, we need grace. And so let's just take a few moments and let's just magnify the Lord. He's uh, worthy of praise. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for this message, Lord. We thank you for your grace, God. And we know that your grace is sufficient, God, in our times of trial, God, in our tribulation, in our persecution, in our distresses, God. We know that your grace is is sufficient for us, Lord Jesus. Lord, and we trust you, God. We know that, God, no matter what, Lord Jesus, no matter what we're going through, what we will go through, God, that we can turn to you, we can look to you, God, and your grace will be enough. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we can glory in that, and we can be thankful, Lord Jesus, for your grace, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. We give you all the thanks, God. We give you all the praise in Jesus' precious and holy name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Well, it was good to see everyone uh, here today. And make sure that you greet one another and you tell Cindy Jimenez happy birthday. And is it Helen's birthday today? Jamie's mother, Hel it's happy birthday to her today. And we missed Brother Buddy's uh, birthday, and he was so proud that we missed it last week that I just wanted to make sure that we embarrass him today. And anyone else, well, who's the other birthdays? We, we got uh, Patrick's mother uh, last week, 
and Judah was last week, but um, uh, it's so good to see everyone today, and um, I know that there's some great things. Remember, next week, we have a special speaker, Brother Isaiah Solomon. I've never heard him preach. I don't know what it's going to be like. We have no idea, but uh, we're hoping to uh, just, have, just ask the Lord to have his way, and we have a lot of stuff coming down the pike with this 